Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Healing Fractured Communities, a book written by alumni of the Lewis Center Community Leadership Fellows Program. Each chapter paints a picture of the work of healing fractures like racism, educational inequality, and poverty. Each chapter also includes takeaways to inspire healing in your community, plus questions for reflection. All proceeds support the Dr. Lovett H. Weems Jr. Scholarship Fund. Learn more and order now at churchleadership.com books. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can congregational leaders be both healers and agitators at the same time, especially given our fractured landscape and the diversity of contexts where congregations exist? Doug Poe and Jessica Enschutz reflect on the book Healing Fractured Communities and the stories of pastoral leaders engaged in the work of renewal, resilience, and resistance in congregations, on college campuses, and in communities. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks. I'm Ann Michael. I'm a senior consultant with the Lewis Center for Church Leadership. I'm also one of the editors of Leading Ideas e-newsletter, and I'm pleased to be your host for this episode of our podcast. I have the privilege today of being in conversation with two of my Lewis Center colleagues, Dr. F. Douglas Poe Jr. and Dr. Jessica Anschutz. They are director and assistant director, respectively, of the Lewis Center. Uh, if you listen to our podcast regularly, you're used to hearing them as hosts and interviewers, but today they are my guests, and they're here to discuss a new book uh, that they have pulled together and edited called Healing Fractured Communities. Uh, it's an exciting book, and I'm so happy to welcome you guys to the conversation today. It is great to be with you, Anne. Yeah. So, Doug, let me start with you. Uh, can you explain a little bit about this book, uh, how it came to be, uh, and who's been part of the process? Absolutely. This um, project um, came out of our work with a Lilly grant. Um, the Lewis Center had a grant, with, and we called the um, sort of the group that got it, the Lewis um, Community Fellows. So it was, it was a, co a leadership cohort. A leadership cohort. And um, we had overall, I think, eight cohorts of uh, Lewis Community Fellows. And the um, idea behind this was to help um, leaders to better engage their community, to really be able to think about and deeply engage a context and be able to collaborate with um different individuals from the context, like civic leaders, um, business leaders, and others who are in that context that are critical for the work of the church. As we got near the end of the project, we wanted to make sure we could capture in a good way a lot of the good work that was being done um, by these fellows. Um, so the idea of the book came about for how we could Think about the different contexts people worked in and capture some of the powerful work that was being done. We would have loved, of course, to be able to have every single fellow we ever um, had to write something 
Uh, but of course that would not be possible. Um, so we worked with six fellows to pull this together. And um, these fellows were in various contexts, ranging from rural to a college ministry setting to your typical sort of urban or, or uh, suburban settings. And um, I think both Jessica and I found um, working with them really fun, um, exciting, and um, they did excellent work. Yeah, great. Well, so you've, you've mentioned the fact that the six contributing authors came from a variety of different ministry contexts and faced a variety of different challenges. Um, Jessica, could you expand on that a bit and just say a little bit about the specific situations that are addressed in this book? Sure, I'd be glad to. So each of the authors are serving as United Methodist clergy, and they serve in a variety of different appointment contexts, as Doug alluded to. Um, one of the authors serves a congregation that's on the border of the United States and Mexico and talks about her work on the border and sort of moving the congregation beyond the walls of the church and also across the border. A couple of the authors are in sort of suburban contexts. One writes about her ministry both in Arkansas and in Maryland um, in congregations struggling to, to see the poor in their midst. Another is in a rural context in Missouri. And um, we have one who's serving in a multicultural, multiracial appointment in New Jersey. And another of the pastors serves in campus ministry. So while we don't cover sort of all of the context, we do have a range of contexts that are covered by the book. Yeah, I was really um, uh, surprised by the diversity of different settings that these different pastors were dealing with. And yet this this theme of healing fractured communities uh, really emerged as a theme that I, I think relates to all of their work. And so, Doug, I wondered if you could say a bit about uh, how you chose this theme, healing fractured communities, not just for the book, but for the work of the Lewis Community Fellows um, in overall? The themes emerges out of the thinking behind as we look at various contexts. And we started when we would do the fellows um, for several years in Baltimore. Um, and in Baltimore, uh, like any major city, there was racial tension. And that tension, of course, created fractures um, in various places within the city. So when the fellows would get to go and sort of um, visit that context, they had the opportunity to talk with pastors who were working um, on that issue. They actually got to talk with police officers and the, uh, the struggle of dealing with that sort of tension, elected officials. Um, so it was looking at that theme and the fractures that theme sort of caused in a major city and thinking about how can we as church leaders help to bring healing to that sort of a uh, context. Um, we also then would look at education and we'd also look at housing in different contexts. And if you think about those themes, the same thing emerges. There are fractures around how do you do affordable housing? Um, what are the best approaches? Who's impacted by these sort of things? And you could just 
go on and on about sort of the different fractures that are caused by various themes, even as they go back to their own communities. So as we thought about the book, what we wanted to capture was how can leaders think about particular themes and address these within their context and bring healing um, or help to bring healing um, to those contexts. Um, these themes, of course, are huge social issues. So we realize that you're not going to solve these themes easily. But the hope is the work of the church is to bring healing, um, to be a bomb in the midst of these situations. So um, the book really addresses how do we create healing in those various contexts. Yeah, I, my, my tenure with the Lewis Center actually predates Doug, and I had worked with this program in the in the earliest iterations. And when he mentioned going to Baltimore, that almost happened by accident because we had the fellows meeting in Washington talking about community redevelopment and affordable housing. And it just so happened that when the group was in Washington doing this was when the Freddie Gray murder happened in Baltimore. And it was like, here we are in Washington thinking about how churches can engage the community and an hour up the road in Baltimore, it was literally on fire. And we're like, this is where we need to be, um, you know, with this group. Um, so I wanted to ask both of you, um, if there's one particular story or vignette from this book that really resonated with you personally, uh, let me turn to Jessica first and then I'll go to Doug. That's a really great yet challenging question, Anne, as there are aspects of each of the stories that resonated with me and my experiences in ministry. I think today, right now, I'll choose a story from chapter two, uh, where Julius Wardley writes about his experience in campus ministry and engaging with students who are experiencing poverty. And he tells a story about um, Food for Thought, which was the Wesley Foundation food bank where he was serving, and how he helped carry groceries to a car for a young mother. And when he arrived at the car, he realized that it was overflowing with um, trash bags that had been filled with her personal belongings, and how she was working really hard to make a better life for herself and for her children. And I served in campus ministry for four years prior to entering in ministry. And this story reminded me of so many people who I encountered in my experiences of ministry, both on a college campus and in the churches that I served, that so often when we are building relationships with people, we learn more about what's happening in their lives under the surface than what has you know initially been presented. And we learn about the challenges, their vulnerabilities as we develop those relationships which then, of course, allows us to better respond and begin to take steps toward healing. But for right now, that's the story that jumps out at me today. You know, it's funny. That's the story I would have chosen to. Our Wesley Seminary sits adjacent to American University, which is a private uh, private university. We don't think about there being poverty among university students. And um, it was so eye-opening to, to read about the fact that among his campus ministry um, participants were people really struggling with homelessness, food insecurity, poverty, you know, uh, employment issues, uh, and that that really had to become the focus of campus ministry. It was a really interesting story. How about you, Doug? Um, before, I just want to add to, to that one. And I think what is um, helpful in that chapter is 
when he talks about how congregations can get involved in that work. So it's not just campus ministry, but congregations can actually partner or play an important role, uh, again, in sort of healing what is uh, a fracture in the community um, and something that often is under the radar for most of us because we just assume when you're in college, you have housing, you have food. Um, and the reality is, is that is just not true today in the way that it may have been in the past. So um, I really appreciated that, that story also. Um, I'm going to choose a different story. I was really struck by uh, Reverend Arida, who um, is in a multicultural setting uh, and a female pastor and just really shares in a compelling way the challenge of the work um, to pull off multicultural ministry. Um, we're, we're in a setting today where we often talk about the importance of multicultural ministry and wanting um, people to do this sort of work, but she, she really opens our eyes to just how difficult this work can be and that is just not easy to get congregations that have been brought up in different traditions um, to really share a space together um, and to be able to worship um, our, you know, one Christian God in a way that they both feel like um, they are getting um, filled by the spirit. And the piece that is sort of really wonderful about the chapter is um, near the end, she talks about a hymn saying um, is one of the ways that she was actually able to create a space for them to come together and actually um, create that space where both congregations really felt appreciated and could appreciate one another. So that even amidst all the challenge and the challenges again are ongoing, this doesn't solve the issue um, of what's taking place, but the beauty of the hymn saying, at least creating um, that space where they actually could appreciate each other and find a way that they could worship together um, was really touching. Yeah, so I, I, I'm glad you highlighted that example because it reminds me that among these stories, are, are stories of healing within, within the divides of congregations, not just the, the congregation and community, which I, which I found it helpful to draw those um, the similarities in those situations together. Um, Doug, uh, there are some common threads that run across these various experiences of healing um, fractured communities. Um, and the book develops the themes of resilience, resistance, and renewal. Uh, and so I wondered if you could very briefly describe how those key elements of change um, relate to this work of healing fractured communities. Absolutely. Anytime you're a leader, particularly in a congregation, um, we believe that these three R's probably are going to be a part of your ministry in some form or fashion. That, um, resilience that a, a congregation is really having to be resilient, particularly today with coming out of COVID. Um, they might be in the midst of decline. There might be in other transitions. So the leader really helping the congregation to be resilient with um, whatever they may be facing um, is critically important. And it takes a 
really assert leadership to help the congregation to recognize the importance of that resilience. In terms of renewal, um, we use that term so often in the church, um, talking about church renewal, but in our case, we're actually thinking about it more in the Romans 12, two way of renewing your mind so that congregations have to create a different mindset. Um, you can't just be a standalone entity um, as we often thought of ourselves in the past, that collaborations are necessary, that you're going to have to create a mindset that you're going to have to do things differently in the congregation. So in this case, renewal is really about that different mindset. And resistance probably is the one that seems different. But resistance is key because a part of the work that we have to do as congregations are resisting um, the evil powers and resisting those things that um, can create the fractures in the community. So that resistance is critical for the work of, of healing. So having the courage um, and helping to empower people to have that courage for resistance is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that theme of resistance, I, I, I recall reading in the first chapter of the book about the congregation in the Mexico-U.S. border town, the idea that resistance doesn't necessarily have to be this. There can be small strategic acts of resistance that can help congregations heal. That was that was a helpful um, bit of learning for me in the book. So um, again, uh, one of the really things that I found so fascinating about the, this book is that even though the contributing authors were addressing such different contexts and dealing with very different challenges and realities, there were common themes that emerged and common lessons. So I wonder, Jessica, if you could name a couple of the learnings uh, that you think emerge from this book uh, that others can learn from. Sure, I'd be glad to. Thank you. And so I've already alluded to one of them, and that is the importance of building relationships. And that relates in the congregational context within the community and, and beyond. And in a couple of places, we learn about the small steps of learning someone's name whether it's the person sitting next to you in the pew, or as Andrea lifted up in her chapter, um, learning the name of the people who are coming to the food pantry, or in Laura's case, learning the names of the folks who are across the border in Mexico and starting with one relationship and how that can begin to transform the community. And a part of that also, I think, is that each of the authors in their own leadership understood that they were both sort of the, the leader and teacher and also the student. They were coming alongside and, and learning. And I think that's really important in sort of the duality of, of relationships. Another theme that I will pick up on, it's one of my favorites. It's attend to the elephant, or as we say in the book, or the chicken in the room. And Joel tells a story about bringing um, changes to an annual chicken dinner in his congregation, which is where the chicken comes from in that phrase. And again, sometimes what appears on the surface can be indicative of deeper issues. Um, so Arida lifts up that resistance to multilingual and bilingual worship services and sermons and points out that it's not simply resistance to those experiences 
but that some of those feelings and actions may be rooted in injustice and prejudice and discrimination. So naming the elephant or the chicken in the room is part of the painful and hard work of truth-telling and a necessary step toward healing in, in congregations and in ministry. Yeah, um, this is really a very inspiring book, I think, in part because it is addressing real-life ministry situations and real-life community challenges. And even if the um, situations that are described in the book don't precisely match, uh, you know, your situation, I, I, I think that these stories are so authentic and, and, and so um you know, the, the lessons are so broadly applicable that I think everybody can find inspiration uh, in hearing about how these various pastors um, uh, went about their work and were able to achieve, uh, you know, healing, which, which, is, which is the goal um, of this program. So to begin to draw this to a close, I'd like to ask first, uh, if someone's interested in this book, how can they get a copy of it? Great question. The book is currently available on Amazon in both the um, softcover and ebook formats. It's also available at Barnes and Noble, and we also have plenty of copies here at the Lewis Center that can be ordered if you visit churchleadership.com and visit our store. We also have the ebook available through the store. All right, great. And then finally, uh, since this book really highlights um, the experiences of uh, pastors who've taken part in this Lewis Community Leadership Fellows Program, uh, Doug, I wondered if you could say a word to people who might be interested in our Lewis Fellows uh, learning experiences. Absolutely. The um, Lewis Fellows, I'm using the term broadly in this case, have been a critical part of what the Lewis Center has done over the years. And we actually just started a new Lewis Fellows cohort um, that we're really excited about and is off to a great start. But our plan is to um, continue to um, fund the Lewis Fellows program out of the Lewis Center itself. So all the proceeds from the book actually are going towards continuing to fund that program. So when you do purchase a book, you're actually helping pastors to develop their leadership skills. So um, we think that work is important and we appreciate the authors contributing um, since they benefited from the program, benefiting to pastors in the future, benefiting from the program. We think that the um, Lewis Fellows has helped, um, as you know, and numerous pastors really develop critical leadership skills. And many of them are doing wonderful things, not only in the United Methodist Church, but across denominations. Um, so I think our track record in this area has been really strong. Yeah. Well, I want to thank both of you uh, for the work that you've done with these Lewis Community Leadership Fellows in helping them bring their stories to press so that others can learn from their experience. Um, I think it's a wonderful way to expand on the impact of the wonderful Lewis Community Leadership Fellows. So again, the book is Healing Fractured Communities. Thanks so much. Thank you, Anne. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.